everybody. Come on, aren't you glad to be at church today? Man, I'm glad you're here. Hey, y'all, it's, it's Palm Sunday. It's Palm Sunday, and I know, I know because, uh, like, we're not like your, your traditional church around here. A lot of, like, a lot of the churches around the world are, are, they're focused in on this, like, the church calendar. This is the day that we see in the Bible where Jesus triumphantly enters into Jerusalem. Now, it was seen different by a bunch of different people. Jesus had already told his disciples, we talked about it this morning in our meeting with our, uh, with our serve team and uh, C team members, and we, we talked about how Jesus had already told his disciples in uh, Mark chapter 8, hey, I'm going to the cross, I'm going to die, but I'm coming back to life. And then, and then Peter goes, oh, no, man, you ain't going to do that. Ain't nobody going to kill you. I got your back, right? And Jesus was like, no, brother, you don't understand. I got it. That's what I'm, that's what I'm here to do. Get behind me, Satan, right? That's what he tells him. But they, no matter what Jesus told him, they still didn't believe it because Jesus is coming in. He, he rides in, uh, John chapter 12 says, on a donkey, fulfilling prophecy. It says his disciples didn't even recognize he was fulfilling prophecy. They didn't even know what was going on. They thought, because everybody was there, Hosanna, right? Here's the king of kings. Like, he's it, coming in the name of the Lord. All of his disciples and most of the people laying down those palm branches thought that Jesus was coming to start a physical revolution. They thought, this is it, baby. Everybody get your sword. We've been waiting on this. We're about to start a fight. That's what they thought. And Jesus knew something different. I didn't come to start a revolution here. I started one around the whole world. I'm coming to save the world, right? And so this begins, like this week begins, hopefully in our hearts and in our minds as followers of Jesus, this week-long Reality. Hopefully, it goes farther than that, right? But we know this Easter week, as we settle in our hearts, that this is the culmination of everything God had come to do from the foundations of the world. Like, this is it. Like, Palm Sunday. It's leading into Easter week, and we know, we talked about it last month, the whole series uh, last month was really wrapped around this idea of the smell of smoke. I love how often in the Bible we're, we're, we're encouraged by Jesus to get close to those that are far from God. Spend time with them. Do life with them. That's far different than what religion says. Religion always said, <laughs> separate yourself from those that are far from God. You should not, not, that's why everywhere Jesus was found, he was with what the Bible called sinners. And every religious person said, what the heck's he doing with them? Like, doesn't he know they're, they're sinful? Doesn't he know they're dirty? Doesn't he know they've made mistakes? Doesn't he know they've messed things up? Doesn't he know that they're horrible people? Like, why is he spending time with them? And over and over, you see Jesus remind them, hey, y'all, I didn't come for those that think they've got it all together. I came for the sick. I came for people who knew they're not well. It's what I'm here for. And Jesus encouraged everyone to do the same. And we see in the book of Jude that we're reminded in that little bitty letter, we're reminded that we ought to smell like smoke. There ought to be some people in our life that are far from God. Here's my question to you. Are there people in your life that are far from God? Are there, are, are there people in your life that, that make decisions that probably you wouldn't make? That talk a little different than probably you would talk? They do things differently than you do. But are you in that moment what Jude warns us about, right? Are you close enough to snatch from the flames without falling into it yourself? 
Am I able to live a life that honors Jesus in front of people who are far from God? And that makes all the difference. I love the, the passage in Jude because it reminds us, like to, the, the word literally says, be close enough to snatch them from the flames of judgment. But the vast majority of the book of Jude is a warning before it ever gets to that point. Verse 26 is the end of the chapter. And before it ever gets to that point, the, the, the first basically 25 verses are warnings to Christians, warnings to followers of Jesus. Hey, hey, y'all, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Hey, y'all, the enemy is strong. He's stronger than you. He's stronger than me. He reminds us in the book of Jude that even the archangel didn't, like, didn't go hand-to-hand combat with the devil. He brought Jesus into it. He said, the Lord rebuke you, not me. I'm not strong enough. I'm not big enough. Reminds ourselves that, hey, not by my strength, not by my power, but by the power and presence of God in me. It's not me. It's Christ living through me. If it's about me, me and myself, like I'm not good, right? There's nothing good in any of us. Paul reminds us of that in Romans chapter 7. Who, like who can save me from this wretched person that I've become? Like there's nothing good in any of us. But boy, I'm so glad that Jesus decided to take up camp in all of us through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? So it's Jesus living in us working through us that makes all the difference. So we can live our lives without fear of screwing it all up because it's, all, it's only Jesus through us anyway, right? So get close enough to the flames that you can pull people out. But be careful that you don't fall in yourself, right? And so we're leading into this next week is Easter week. And, and I, we've, we've got just this one Sunday that's kind of outside of last week's last month's series. We kick off a brand new series next week. And I, I want to encourage us as the church to be the church this week, right? This month, this year. We are the church. We exist for the world. We say that a lot around here. And what does that mean? It means that Cultivate Church is not something that you go to. It's not something that you just make on a list of to-dos that you get done on Sunday and you do whatever it is you think you need to do the rest of the week. No, no, no. The church is not a place that you go. The church is a people that is. And you are the church, and I am the church. And so I titled your message this morning, C-S-A-R. Now, I began working. Uh, we have any military folks in here? Military, military, military. Uh, family in military, family in military. Yep, all right, lots of you, some of you. Um, I learned, and I started working with military chaplains and military personnel back in 2016. And I recognized then that basically the military only talks in acronyms pretty much all the time. And so, I, I mean, literally, I get emails all the time with brand new acronyms, like everything, long acronym. I'm like, yo, I don't have a clue what you're saying. They're like, exactly. That's exactly what they want. So CSAR represents combat search and rescue. Combat search and rescue. Did some research on what that looks like. Combat search and rescue teams are the special people. Like, they're the folks that nobody knows who they are. Like, they're the folks you've probably seen in movies, like, they don't have an identity, right? you know what I'm saying? Like, nobody knows who they are. They're the team that when somebody is stuck behind enemy lines, these are the folks that get to go in and bring them back. These are the folks that, by any means necessary, they bring the fallen soldiers, they bring folks back. So they're the guys that lead search and rescue operations that, care, that are carried out during war that are within or near combat zones. Now, I don't know about you, but in, like, that particular circumstance, I... That's a big job. You know what I mean? Like, we're, we're tasking you with the ability, with the, pro, uh, the, the responsibility to go behind enemy lines, bring back the people that are highly, like, like, fortified, right? They're the people, like, bring them back safely. 
By the way, nobody can know you're there. So we're not giving you anything. <laughs> if you die, nobody knew <laughs> kind of thing. Like it is what it is kind of, right? But they're the people that are tasked with that responsibility because most people think they have the skills necessary to accomplish that responsibility. They're the heroes of, of what we would call wartime or things like that. They bring people back safely. And so I began to think of that in context of us reaching people with the gospel and, and, and us recognizing all last month that we're the church, we exist for the world. It is appointed man once to die and then face the judgment. All of us have people in our lives who are across enemy lines and they are far from God and they are our, like it is, like our responsibility to, to lead them to the feet of Jesus. Check this out. God so loved the world. That he sent Jesus to rescue them from their sins. And he loved those people enough to put us in their lives. Yeah. Some of y'all are like, mm, not a lot of love, right? Right? You know, what we, you know what I've discovered? There's a statistic out there that says it's almost 90% of Christians. I think it's way up in the highs. It says this, that most Christians will go their entire lives after salvation having never shared their faith one time. In America, that's very true. That most people live their entire Christian lives having never once shared their faith. And recognizing that at least for now, in our spheres, in our lifetime, right now, probably for the most of us, not all, but for the most of us, the greatest sense of persecution we will receive is a no thanks no, nah, not for me. That's reality. That's the thing that we're most afraid of in our lives. But God loved somebody in your life so much that he placed them in your sphere of influence so that your life could overflow into their life and make an eternal difference in, in their salvation. Isn't that crazy? It's a big responsibility, in my opinion. When I think of it that way, it places some urgency in my life. Because, y'all, there's some people in my life. I know I have a lot of immediate family. I have a lot of friends. I have people in my neighborhood, people that my kids go to school with, people that I come in contact on a complete daily basis that I know are far from God. My hope is, my prayer is, that all of us have people in our sphere of influence that are far from God. Because we are search, like we are combat, search, and rescue. That's us. God is calling that to us. If you're not on that team, then you're not breathing. Everybody take a deep breath. Welcome to the team. You're on it, baby. Huh? And that's us. Like, that's our responsibility. We're on the team. There's people in our lives that need the gospel. And nobody's going to bring it unless we bring it. So today I want to pray and I want to remind us that we're the church. We exist for the world. So there's a couple of things that as the church we are and we do and we are a part of. That unless it's us, unless it's us, who, right? So let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we're thankful for your grace and your mercy and your love. We're thankful for all the good things you're doing in our lives and through us. And God, we pray for all of the people in the room, all of those watching online through the internet in some way, form, or fashion, wherever they are. Father, in the name of Jesus, that you would remind us, inspire us, call us to live outside of ourselves. God, to bring the gospel to our sphere of influence and let that make all of the difference in people's lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, number one, if you're taking notes, what's the difference? What makes us different? We see what other people don't. 
we see what other people don't. Most of the world are caught up in what we like to call the rat race of life. Most of humanity are kind of bought into this idea that we live our lives, do what we want, get as much as we can, retire early, grow old, and die. That's pretty much what we kind of think about life. Most people are caught in that ideal around the world. But what we get to see that other people don't is there's a far greater call on life than just existing, spinning our wheels. And that same thing happened in in the Gospels. People didn't necessarily see. One of the greatest things about Jesus was he was able to see what other people didn't see. I love this. In Mark chapter 8, he's talking to his disciples. It says, Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders and the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. He's literally saying he's going to be rejected by religion. He would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. Underline this. Verse 32, it says, as he talked about this, openly with his disciples. Hey, he was so clear. He was crystal clear about what was going to happen. But old Peter, man, with his big mouth, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him saying, uh, for saying such things. Y'all, can you imagine reprimanding Jesus? <laughs> hey, bro, you got it. Jesus, I don't know who you got this information from, but it is all wrong, right? Like reprimanded him. Jesus turned around, looked at his disciples, and then I, don't you think like I looked at like Jesus looked at his disciples and then looked at Peter. Like, like he turned around and he was like, y'all, y'all hearing this? You know, like, and then looked at Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. I, yeah, dang. <laughs> That's exactly. Dang, he called him Satan, y'all, right? Get away from me, Satan, he said. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view. From a human point of view. I see things different than you see it. Not from God's. You don't see it from God's. I'm seeing God's point of view. He he looked at Peter, who with every good intention, called him Satan. He had good intentions. Oh, no, Jesus, ain't nobody going to touch you. No, bro, I'm coming to die. This is no parable. I'm going to die. I will come back to life. Told it plainly. Like, I've learned that there are basically two different kinds of people in this world. People with vision, what I would like to call it, and people without. People who can see what others don't see, and people who only see it, like, will only believe it when they see it. Like, you can be, like, I love remodeling things, and I've, like, I, 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 would, I just love, I can, I can walk into an empty room and I can begin to lay things out in my brain of what I think would be really, really great way to lay things out, like architecturally and things like that. And then there's other people that are like, I don't see it, can't see it. I remember when we first remodeled our first campus, we were in a high school, we were given eight weeks to get out, we found a facility, and it was 5,000 square feet, it was literally not enough room even for the little bitty people that we were, and I remember walking into that room and going... All right, we're going to do the best we can with what we got. And I remember bringing my team, my wife and, and Brandon, his wife at the time, like we were it, we were the team. And I remember walking them through that building and them going, oh my God, we're dead. We're not going to make it. And I remember casting vision and going, no, we can do it. We can make it this way and we can put a wall here and it's going to be great. We're going to do the best we can with what we've got. It's going to be awesome. And I remember walking out of that meeting and they're all like, oh God, Brandon's crazy. There's no way. 
like there's no way that's going to happen. I remember standing up in front of our church the next week after we signed the deal and said, church, good news, we got a building. And everyone's like, yeah, where's it at? And I was like, eh, we'll, just, we'll talk about that later. Because <laughs> I knew some people just can't see it until it's done, you know? Like I knew it, I knew it. I re- I've learned that over my life because I tend to be a visionary in most things. Now, you go, well, that sounds pretty cool, like that's boastful. No, 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 what most people call that is senile. Most people call people like that crazy, like you're an idiot. There's no way that that can happen. You know what I'm saying? But here we are, thousands of people saved later. We went from little, barely 100 people to 250 to 300 at one time. Before we planted the campus in Columbiana, we were running almost 650, 700 people a weekend through 5,000 square feet. Unheard of, shouldn't be able to do it. But listen, when you just follow in obedience to what God tells you to do, he can see things that other people can't see. He can do things like he can, he, what he sees, if, we're, if we allow ourselves to see what God can see, I'm telling you, you can see, you can begin to make decisions that make a difference in people's lives. So, what do you see? Do you see people just in addiction that, 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 you've, that you've tried too many times to help them and I'm just giving up? Do you see that family member that you've tried and tried and tried and you've prayed for and prayed for and prayed for and you're finally at the point of just throwing your hands up? I don't know what else to do. Do you see that family member stuck in sin, making decisions that they honestly feel are the best for them, but you know it's pulling them away from God, and have you just decided to give up on them? Do you see what the rest of the world sees? The rest of the world sees addiction. The rest of the world sees broken marriages. What else are we going to do? Nothing else you can do. Hey, that happened in the Gospels. Over and over again, you see Jesus finding people where they are, where the rest of the world had completely given up on them. But what the rest of the world didn't know was that was the exact moment that Jesus needed to get them to to bring life change to them. There's a woman at a well in John chapter 4 that had been completely outcast by her entire community. Jesus meets her right where she is. There's a place in Mark chapter 4 where Jesus crosses over a lake, finds a demoniac, a guy possessed by demons that the whole entire region had thrown their hands up and chained him to a cave so that he would leave them alone. He was bothering everybody in the region. So they just chained him up in a cave and threw their hands up. Jesus comes along and rescues him from everything that nobody else could do. Why? Because he could see what others didn't. When all the world gives up on, that's the moment that God can actually do something. Do I see what others don't? I believe this with all of my heart as the local church. We're the church. We believe like we, we, we exist for the world. So we don't see the addiction. We see the potential of what God could rescue. We don't see broken marriages. We see the potential of what God could restore. We don't see people lost in sin and their own abilities and their own ideologies. We don't see people and give up on them. No, we're not, we're not going to give up. We're going to believe and we're going to see what others don't. What others don't. I don't see that. So anybody that would ever walk through our doors, all we can do is look at them through the lens of Jesus and say, you may be stuck now, but I can see what you can't. I'm going to hold on when you don't. I'm going to believe when when there's nothing in you to believe. Nobody else, everybody else may have given up on you, but come on, we see what others don't. We see what God sees because we're the local church. We've seen him do it too many times to think he won't do it again. I see what others don't. Number two. Number two, this one's huge. We do what others want. 
You see, because we see what others don't, because Jesus saw what others don't, he was willing to, to, to jeopardize his reputation eating dinner with sinners. He was willing to go meet a woman at the well that was completely outcast. He was willing to cross over to the lake and waste all the time that everybody thought he was wasting to heal a man possessed with many demons. He was willing to do what others wouldn't because he saw what others didn't. Listen to this, what it said in Matthew 26. He'd already told him, I'm going to the cross, right? Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, sit here a while while I go over there and pray. Then he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished with distress. He took his best friends. He told them, my soul is crushed to grief, with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further and bowed down his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Come on, what a powerful prayer. Then he returned to the disciples and found them what? Asleep. And he said to Peter, Couldn't you watch with me even for an hour? Keep watching, pray, so that you'll not give in to temptation. For the Spirit is willing... But the body is weak. And you see where he went on to pray again. And he came back. And guess what? He found him again. Sleeping. Jesus just saw what others didn't. So he was able to do and willing to do what others wouldn't. I believe this with all of our hearts as the local church. There's nothing like the local church in the world. It's the local church that literally when all of the world has given up on every other, every other possibility, the local church steps in. The local church steps in. They serve the unservable. They help the unhelpable. They loved the unlovable. Like that's the local church all throughout history. Any good thing that's been brought to the world, listen, y'all, it's through the church. I saw an interview of a, very, of a famous Jewish leader in our country, big-time leader uh, with local media, and he says, I'm not even a Christian. He said, but this is my hope, that Christianity would take the world completely over. He said, because as I look over history, I see that every good thing that's ever happened from, for humanity has happened through this man called Jesus. He said every, every significant medical breakthrough, Christians. Every significant hospital, Christians. Every significant, every significant uh, uh, place that helps the poor all throughout the world, Christians. Literally, it's the people of God serving the will of God that has changed the world. Only Christians could step out and do what others want. Jesus alone, when nobody else would touch a leper, Jesus reached down and touches them. When nobody else would help people, there are people throughout history that you can see who stepped in and helped those that nobody else would. Why? You know why Christians stepped in during the Black Plague and began to help people? Because Christians weren't afraid of death. Because we believe that to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. So I'm going to step in. When everybody else is worried about something, I ain't afraid of nothing. I'm afraid of who can, who can help me when the power of God is working through me. What's the Bible say? If God be for you, who can be against you, right? Like there's nothing that, like we recognize as followers of Jesus, there's nothing the enemy could do to us. So we'll do what other people won't. So what does that look like for you? As a church, it's why, we, it's why we give extravagantly when most of the world would go, why are you giving those 
serpent, why are you giving all that resource to that thing? Don't you know they're just going to mess it up? Don't you know they're just going to use it for whatever they want to do? Why are you helping that family? You know they're just going to use the money wrong. Hey, y'all, that ain't our responsibility. That ain't got nothing to do with us. Our responsibility is to do what God's called us to do and leave the rest of it up to him. Right? So we will do what he says to do, and God will trust us with more resource so that we can love the unlovable, help the unhelpable, serve the unservable. We're going to do what nobody else will do. My prayer, my hope, my dream is that when there's a need that nobody else will meet in Shelby County, our number is the first number people call. That's my hope. Like, nobody else is doing this. Let's call Cultivate. It's going to say, yes, we're going to do it. Whatever you need, if it's feasibly within our power to do it, we're going to serve. We're going to say yes because we're the church. Hey, y'all, we exist for the world. It's not the other way around. Like, we are here to rescue people far from God. So whatever it takes, we're going to do it. And then number three, I love this one. Because we see what others don't and we do what others won't. We believe what others only perceive. There is a really, really powerful passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 27. I've read the gospel story. Come on. I mean, listen, y'all, I'm a pastor. I've been doing this a long time. There's, uh, there's a couple of times a year in which um, y'all know emphatically what I'm going to preach about. Like, there's no surprise. It's Easter, y'all. I'm going to talk about the resurrection. You know what I mean? For the next 40 years... Easter's going to come around. That's what we're going to talk about, right? We've read it. We've talked about it. We've learned from it. But I I read this passage, and it it hit me different this year, this time, for whatever reason. There's a man named Joseph in in Matthew chapter 27 that it talks about. It says, this is after Jesus had died on the cross. It says, as evening approached, Joseph, a rich man from Arimathea, listen to this, who had become a follower of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate issued an order to release it to him. Jesus, Joseph, took the body, wrapped it in a long sheet of clean linen cloth. Listen to this, underline this. And he placed it in his own new tomb, which had been carved out of the rock. Here's why this is significant. Jesus, we just talked about it. If you want to write this reference down in Mark chapter 8, you can write that down. It's not in your notes. Jesus had told his disciples in Mark chapter 8, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die. I will come back three days later. That's when Peter argued with him, all that stuff, right? Like like we see all of that going on. We see how we see it there in, in, in Mark chapter 8, verse 31 through 33. And then you see after Jesus had already rebuked him, called him Satan, corrected him, and put him on a right path. If you read the Gospels, the night that Jesus died, when he passed away, in the book of John, I believe, it's Peter telling his friends, I'm going fishing. They didn't even care what they did with the body. There was, to me, if I'm a follower of Jesus, and I believe he's coming back in three days, while he's dead, I'm going to find out a good place to let him rest, because I know he's coming back. They didn't even care. They thought it was over. No matter what Jesus had told him, his disciples, y'all, the people that watched him raise the dead, shared meals with him privately, were in the upper room in the Last Supper. Them, they, Joseph wasn't in that room. This new follower of Jesus wasn't at that table. He was a brand new follower of Jesus. All of these disciples, 
The people that argue, Jesus, who's going to be at your right side when we get to eternity? Who's going to be the, the, the greatest of your disciples? It's going to be me, right, Jesus? It's going to be me. I'm the best one, right? Those guys, they didn't even believe that he was actually coming back from the dead. But Joseph comes along, and he puts him in what theologians call a borrowed tomb. See, there was a man of all of the people who Jesus had changed their life and followed him. There was one who actually believed him. So much so that he took care to grab his body from the cross. Put him in a tomb that he could watch safely. A borrowed tomb that he knew eventually was going to hold his own body. And waited patiently while the disciples were out fishing. Here's my question to you. What have you given up on that God is telling you to simply guard with care? You can't do it. You're not going to save your husband. You're not going to save your wife. You're not going to rescue your kid, your brother, your sister who's far from God, living a life, that making decisions, that's pulling them away. Not a thing you can do. But maybe you could guard them with care while the resurrection power does what only it can do. Maybe there's somebody in your life that you can simply cover with prayer and you can sit and wait and you can believe that God can do what only he can do. Here's what I've grown to believe in my life. If it's God today, it's God tomorrow. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen. But if God said it's going to happen, I believe it's going to happen. So there's some people in our life where we need to live a life of some urgency, y'all. Like eternity's coming. We're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised our next breath. Who in your life are you emphatically living the gospel message out around? Because maybe, maybe the gospel that they really authentically need to see is you. It's you. So don't be so worried about a hard conversation that talks about Jesus changing somebody's life. Hey, y'all, don't be afraid of a, who do you think you are? I don't want any of that. Don't be afraid of those things. Hey, y'all, eternity is weighing in the balance. So here's what I know. I got some people in my life who I'm going to have some gospel conversations with. This week, this month, there's some people in my life who I'm praying right now. Maybe in your life right now, there's some people that you can begin to write on your notes. I'm going to pray for fill in the blank. And you start praying for an open door for a conversation that could potentially lead to them accepting Christ authentically for the first time in their life. Huh? Maybe right now you could begin to pray. And as we lead into this Easter week, I promise you, you'll never invite somebody to cultivate church and the gospel not be presented. Ever. You'll never bring somebody through these doors and then not receive an opportunity to, talk, to, to accept Christ to be Lord of their life. So something as simple as an invite can make all the difference in somebody's life. Hey, come sit next to me. I promise you, nothing funny or weird's going to happen. It's going to be, you'll have a good time. You'll walk out. It'll be great. You'll, you'll enjoy yourself. We'll go to lunch afterwards. Like little, little steps, little things. What one little thing could you do this week, this month, this year that could present the gospel to somebody in your sphere of influence? Y'all, that could make the difference in their eternity. Because we're the church and we exist for the world. Hey, I want to pray for you. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? Father, I'm thankful for your word today. That it's alive and breathing and it's for us. 
So, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you do what only you can do with it. For all of those tuning in online right now, Father, I pray, God, that the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit meets them right where they are. Maybe you're driving down the road. I'm going to invite you to pull over right now. Just spend a moment in prayer. Spend a moment in prayer. Maybe you're here today and you would say, dang, that's me. I am far from God. I can't tell you the last time I've had an authentic relationship with Jesus. Here's what I know. Listen, hey, you're in good company. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all fallen short. We've all missed the mark. There's not a person in here who's on try number one at this thing. None of us are good people. All of us are far from him. And you would say, the Bible reminds us that Because of that, God demonstrated his love that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. And he goes on to say, because Jesus died and came back from the death, if we'll confess our sins to him and believe in our heart that Christ, that God raised him from the dead, here's the word, we will be saved. He can rescue you from your yesterday, from your today. He can settle our eternity. You would simply say, maybe you're here today, you would say, Father, forgive me of my sin. I confess my sin to you. I'm so sorry I've done it in my own strength, in my own ability. Jesus, I believe in my heart that you died on a cross and came back to life three days later. I confess my sin to you and I pray that you would forgive me of it. From this day forward, I'm going to live a life that honors you. You're my Savior and my Lord. Thank you for salvation. And Father, I pray for my church today. God, I pray for my family as we walk out of these four walls. I pray that you would use us for your glory. God, that we would see people through the lens of eternity. We would see what the rest of the world doesn't. God, that would cause us to do what other people won't. God, we'll do anything short of sin to lead people to the cross. God, use us for your glory. Give us opportunity. If you've ever done anything through anybody in the history of the world, God, use us. Why not us? Why not here? God, save Shelby County. God, do what you can do through us. And God, I pray, God, in that moment, we'll begin to see you work. We're going to believe what others only perceive. God, we believe that only you can take away the sins of the world. So, Jesus, as we enter into Easter week, I pray those people that are on our hearts, on our minds, you begin to give us opportunity to have legitimate, life-changing opportunity conversations with them. And, God, that will make all the difference. God, you'll get all the honor and all the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, 1015. Can you honor the Lord today? Come on, he's worthy.